Grave of the Fireflies is a 1988 anime film which tells the story of two Japanese children orphaned after an American firebombing raid during World War II. It's widely regarded as one of the saddest movies of all time. Or at least on Reddit, that's where I read that. Anyway, it's not just sad, it's soul-crushing, which of course meant that Maria and I loved it. So this is a bit of a unique film. There are a lot of war films, but not many from a civilian's perspective and far fewer from a child's perspective. And that's one of the things that really sets this film apart. The Americans who firebomb the small Japanese town aren't painted as evil. They're just this force of nature. Seda and Sesako, the two leads in this film, don't make the best choices. And I wouldn't expect them to. They're 14 and 4 years old, and their actions and choices are reflective of that. But it's something you don't often see in war movies. Wartime trauma for civilians is an under-discussed topic and it made for a fascinating and heartbreaking film. The trauma in this film gave Maria and me a lot to talk about in regards to mental health. I go into some of the cultural differences that help explain not only the choices of Seda and Sesuko, but many of the other characters in this film. Maria talks about the link between mental health and physical health, and how people struggling with their physical health are often forced to overlook their deeper mental health issues. So grab a box of tissues, and let's talk about this harrowing World War II story in this episode of Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. Welcome to Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. I am one of your hosts, Maria Malazzo. And I'm your other host. I am Brandon Gregory. So today we are looking at the, what, 1988 anime film, Grave of the Fireflies. It's become kind of a cult classic in America. Had like, had you heard of this, Maria, before we put together this list? Okay. No, I don't think I had heard of it. And I hadn't, so so obviously never saw it either. (laughs) Uh, it's, uh, it's one that like I kept reading about because it's kind of like for the people I've seen it, it's kind of infamous. So anytime sad movies come up on like Reddit, somebody will mention this movie. Um, so I was like, I probably need to see this movie. This is my second time watching it. So I watched it the first time a few years ago and I mm-hmm. actually really enjoyed it. Um, what, what did you think? This is your first time watching it, right? Yeah. I mean, um, I'm going to like anything that's super sad. So this was probably <laughs> one of yeah. the saddest <laughs> It's a very sad movie. Yeah. (laughs) So sad. (laughs) Very Uh traumatizing. (laughs) And this will be interesting because I watched the English dub and I think you watched the Japanese audio with English subtitles, correct? No, no, I watched the English dub. I always watch the English dub for Studio Yeah, I wasn't sure if they had that. So um, on Hulu or wherever it was. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, never mind then. So that's where I saw (laughs) it. my interesting comparison. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So. No comparison. Um, I guess we can't no. make anything. <laughs> I, I did. I watched the uh, the rice balls scene in Japanese, and I was like, you know, this is actually is better. Um, but uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, I'm not one of those people that always thinks the Japanese audio is better on anime. I usually watch anime in English, but this is one where I think the Japanese voices actually were significantly better. So hmm. um, I'm kind of curious. Maybe I'll go back and watch it in Japanese someday, but. I've seen it twice in English now <laughs> and then that one scene in Japanese. But um, yeah. yeah, you were saying something about this and my neighbor Totoro. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Like that's I think how they presented it, I think, in in 
wasn't in 88 that they um that the, in japan they, it was like yeah. a double yeah in japan like a double feature and it was like horrifying right like for the little kids yeah. because like you had this really more lighthearted film my neighbor totoro have you seen you haven't seen that one, right? I have not seen it, but yeah. it's a kids so it's movie. Like a, I know it's heartwarming. Yeah, it's a typical studio gym. You know, it's like it's like Spirited Away. Like you know, it's cute yeah. and fantastical and all that stuff. It's not like it's not like about World War Two and starving to death. So yeah, I which know. is what this film is. This about. is like a double feature of like The Lion King and Silence of the Lambs. Like right, yeah, why? right. It's like yeah. as if you had those two together. And so I can't imagine this came out. I was eight in nineteen eighty eight. Obviously yeah. I wasn't born in Japan, so I wouldn't have even been there because I don't think it came out in America at that time. It was later, right? I, I don't think it got a wide release in America. That's a good right. question. So, and so I think yeah, it came so, out like on video. Yeah. Yeah. But if I think about when it came out and I'm like, oh, oh, like, mom, like, can we go see my neighbor Todoro and, you know, <laughs> Grave of the Fireflies together when I was eight years old? I, I don't I don't know if my mom would be very happy coming out of that <laughs> film yeah. if that um, if that happened. But um, even though, I mean, I, I, I like how I tout in other um, other episodes about my family and how they let me watch whatever when uh-huh. I was when I was growing up, which they did. Um, they yep. they did, but um, but still, probably probably didn't wouldn't wasn't expecting basically the Schindler's List animation version of Schindler's <laughs> List. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Very sad. <laughs> oh man, yeah. It's this is one like I'm glad that I saw it, but when you announced it last episode, I was like, oh man, now I have to watch that again. Like it's it, it like when I got through it again, I was like, you know, that was good, but I never want to watch it again. You know, like it's just it's it kind a of, a thing out to of watch. You. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's I, I I enjoyed it. It's it's good anime movie. And so if any of you have been turned off to anime, this is not your typical anime. There's no fighting. There's no fantastical powers. Right. It is just a heartbreaking story of two orphan children in World War Two. And so this is like it could easily have been a live action movie, except that like live action, you have to deal with all those special effects of the bombing and stuff like that. So I right. think this may have actually worked better in the animation. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, actually, my favorite anime movies are not the fighting anime. They're the dramas. And so um, there's yeah, this, um, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time and Your Name are all amazing movies. Say that. Have one. Hmm? Setsuko, what? Rice balls. I made them for you. Okay, and now it is time for the idea exchange, and it's where we exchange ideas. Um, except I think it's mostly just going to be my ideas. <laughs> but uh, I, I actually I may have gone too far with this one. So Maria, let me know if I went too far. But okay. my idea is a movie mashup where I put two movie titles together to make a new movie, and my movie mashup is Pearl Harbor or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Oh, um, and so coming this summer. Uh, the Farley brothers present the worst take on a war movie since Steven Spielberg's comedy war film, 1941. Jack Black and Sarah Silverman star as the two soldiers <laughs> who are tasked with watching the skies to make sure nobody bombs Pearl Harbor. You can probably figure out the rest. Um, so that is 
the war comedy movie coming out this summer is Pearl Harbor or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. <laughs> you know, that movie, um, Dr. Strangelove, uh, yeah. or How I Stopped Worrying, uh, is one of my favorite movies. So, <laughs> yeah, it's on your uh, list. So we should yeah, do it sometime. It's def- yeah, definitely one of my one of my favorite movies. And I've never seen Pearl Harbor. So if we had a mashup of that, maybe it would be, yeah, <laughs> like I've heard some pretty bad things about that uh, that movie. So, um, uh, so probably I, would spice mm-hmm. it up a little bit. Let's spice up yeah. World War II and there Pearl Harbor and what happened. <laughs> I did. Yeah. It's, uh, I watched Pearl Harbor because I had an ex-girlfriend that wanted me to watch it with her. Um, and I never really forgave her for that. So it's, it's and pretty that bad. Yeah. She, is your she also, um, no. she made me watch the Britney Spears movie Crossroads or something. So I feel like we've had this conversation before. Yeah, like, I think so, because she also introduced me to Wes Anderson, which is weird. That's what so, it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, so maybe. Well, I unfortunately don't have any ideas during to exchange during this episode, but I <laughs> make a promise to you, Brandon, that the next time I we'll will make idea. sure to have some kind of idea about something. So Brandon, what did you like about this film? Um, I, <laughs> I actually I liked that this was an anime. Like I said, this this mm-hmm. seems to work really well in the animated format, and so I know in America we tend to think of it as an animation as this medium for children, and that's not the case in Japan. Like there are all kinds of you know different age levels that are represented in the anime genre, and so I'm used to like my son's really into like the fighting anime, like Dragon Ball Z, Naruto, Bleach, um, and like I'm not mm-hmm. really into those. There's I mean Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood all has an amazing story. So that's probably the only fighting anime i like um but for the most part i'm more into these drama you know slow moving drama animes um and so this I, I think worked really well it was really interesting seeing world war ii from a japanese perspective yeah. um and at that a very honest painfully honest japanese perspective and that's something you don't think about a lot as an american is like oh crap you know we firebombed others and not just in the history books but there are stories like this um so there, you know, of course, this is a heartbreaking movie. And I, you know, I like that. I like the story. It made me feel things. Um, but the sadness. <laughs> you you felt a thing. Just- I, yeah. I felt I felt several things. So, but the sadness wasn't just like nonstop or relentless. There were little bright points throughout the movie, and so there were little human moments between Seta and Setsuka, right. Setsuko, um, that were fun to see. And so, like when you know um, they're in their cave and Setsuko is running around in the cape and stuff like that, it's just like okay, these are real people. You know, it feels yeah, they're real. kids. Yeah. yeah, and they're they're kids, and so you know, just seeing that. I think was good. And then, of course, there's that scene. And you know the scene I'm talking about with the rice balls. Um, <laughs> that, um, that was a super sad scene. Um, but I, I think it was really well done. And that that could have easily been awful. But it's, you know, when she's like, hey, rice balls, I made them for you. And then, like, uh, when Seta is like, she never woke up. I was like, man, like, that just hit hard. I know. So, yeah, so it's I, I I think I liked a lot of things about this movie, but it's it's more just kind of the overall execution. I don't know that I can narrow it, you know, a few things out like that. But what about mm-hmm. you? What did you like about this film? 
Um, very, very similar to what, what you talked about. Um, I think it's a really good um, animation film. The animation is beautiful, like it usually is um, for the Studio mm-hmm. Ghibli stuff. And um, that beautiful hand-drawn animation, I think it works well as an animation for things that we said before about being able to portray this in, in this manner. Um, and I like that it's very sad because I like very mm-hmm. sad movies. Um, and made me also feel a couple of things as well. Very powerful and moving. Um, and the unique perspective, I, I've almost everything you talked about, the unique, per, unique <laughs> perspective that we really don't get um, um, here in the United States, the perspective of the Japanese point of view during World War II. And the very fact mm-hmm. that it wasn't, it's not even a, shul- a shoulder. I almost said shoulder. It's not a soldier's point of view. It's not uh-huh. really a war point of view. It's a citizen, like a kid, like it's a kid's point of view. And it's a, um, it's just a part they're people, you know, they're humans mm-hmm. and they're trying to survive. And it's not really focused on war, but like, their lives are, you know, affected by it. And so that's how we see that. It's it's not really about, I, I'm not sure if the film is making a statement on war or any of that. I, I know I was reading um, some things online and how people say this could be an anti-war film, but that the guy who, um, who wrote it said it's just a, a film about people like being isolated, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and yeah. so I can see both point, points of view and, you know, regardless when you make a, a film that um that has some kind of war in it that you are making some kind of war statement i mean come on but yeah. um but yeah um <laughs> so uh so yeah I, I i really appreciated that i i do think it's important for us to remember that um you know i think that's the way history is written right and the way that we teach history in this country um it's very hard for us to 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 look at ourselves as as the bad people in certain circumstances but Uh the truth about war is that all parties are usually the bad you know it's nobody wins in war right nobody really wins so there are no good guys in war there are no good guys in war and so i think this was kind of a painful reminder that is very um very much needed and 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 warranted so Mm -hmm. um i appreciated that that and there aren't a lot of war movies from civilian perspectives. Right. Um, and so, I mean, most of the time you see a war movie, it's all about the soldiers. And I mean, those stories need to be told too. Don't get right. me wrong. There are some amazing war movies, but this is one of the few I could think of that, you know, does not feature any soldiers. Um, so right. yeah. that's, it's a cool perspective. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Brandon, so what did you dislike about this film? Um, I like I was having trouble with this. Honestly, the only thing I really disliked, the English dub was not terrible, but it was not great. Um, and I'm saying this just in, you know, comparison to some of the other amazing English dubs out there, like Spirited Away had an amazing English dub. And you even look at some ant like Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, amazing English dub. Um, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, Your Name, amazing English dubs. This one, like a lot of the voices just did not seem to convey the emotions that I thought they should, particularly Setsuko, little Setsuko. Um, she just, you know, Seta! 
I like she just keeps saying that name over and yeah. over. And like, you know, part of that, is, I mean, she's a little kid, you know, of course, she's yeah. going to be, you know, a somewhat annoying character in a situation like this. But it just like it like I, I think the English dub could have been a little better. And maybe that's just because like initially this was not a big movie. There wasn't a big buzz about right. this. But um, yeah, so that's that's my only real gripe with it. So what about you? So, um, so I have a couple of things, um, and I'm going to try to talk about this in a way where it doesn't seem like I'm a horrible person. Um, yep. but sto- <laughs> it's sometimes stories centered around children are very hard for me to enjoy or like, um, mm-hmm. I am, I've never, I, I'm not a, I'm not a person who likes children in a way that a lot of people do. I don't, I'm not. No, I, um, I get it. Yeah. That's, yeah, like, that's I don't totally know fair how, standpoint. It, it, it's hard to explain because when I start talking about it, it makes me sound like, like a horrific monster. Um, I understand that children are people. I understand that. I understand that I was a child once. I understand all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, but um, and I understand that in this film, um, in a lot of Studio Ghibli films, like it is from the point of view as um, as a child of a child, like a, a lot of them mm-hmm. do have that. I think here Seta is the is the main one here, and he's fine. He's an older kid, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it, it aligns a little bit more with the Studio Ghibli films. I just could not stand Setsuko. I, I couldn't stand the <laughs> crying or the annoying. screaming. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know that she's starving and she's in war, which makes me sound even worse. Right. But like. No, there I, was I get so it. much yeah. crying. I couldn't yeah. do it. I like I like it was like nails on a chalkboard with the uh-huh. with the high pitched crying and, and being a baby, which I know she is a baby, so, <laughs> so I understand that. But yeah. um so 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 it was a little hard for me. It may be my least favorite Studio Ghibli film because of that. It was just uh-huh. too much too much crying and screaming by children. Um, yeah, so, her voice was just so over the top too. Yeah, um, yeah, it did not seem like a realistic child. You know, right? So. And maybe part of that is the English dub. I, I don't know, and and so maybe I, I don't know. I would have to see. Maybe I'm curious. Maybe I'll go and and see what the um what the Japanese version is like. But um, but anyway, um, that was one thing that was just hard for me to connect to. Um, also, I really want it to be Grave of Fireflies, not Grave of the Fireflies. I that's n- probably a translation thing. It probably is mm-hmm. not even. I was reading about like translating. You know, you can't translation is an art form, and and you know, there, there's reasons uh-huh. why we have here's like the famous you know translation ver- translated version of X Y Z because it's very subjective and it's never a straightforward thing. And you know, I work for a company where we have to get a lot of translations done um, for our training materials, and it's never one for one. And so I'm sure mm-hmm. that that's probably what happened here or something. But I, I was I was reading about how there is really no singular and plural nouns in the Japanese language. So this hmm. could actually be grave of a firefly. We don't really know, you know, like it's that whole, mm-hmm. it's weird. So not its fault. Um, but I, I, I wanted to be grave of fireflies. Um, <laughs> it's the English major in you coming out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, um, and then also I, I just, I wasn't a big fan of the beginning because it was like a flashback story. And sometimes oh, I just, I'm subway? like, yeah, like, so we were, the, the, the story starts out that we know that Seta's going to die because he dies. He's going to die alone. Yeah. Yeah. So. And he's going to die alone. He doesn't have Satsuko. So I, I, you know, all that fun stuff. So the, um, 
we go backwards after that. Like, so he dies and then we go backwards to tell the story of like kind of what brought him to that point. But we never really uh-huh. see how he was like 100% brought to that point. It just stops really with Setsuko's death. And like, then it's just then they both are dead and in heaven together or something weird. And so it just was a little hard <laughs> yeah. for me, um, you know, because it was introduced to me in the beginning. Um, I wanted to see exactly like how he got to that subway. I don't know, you know, so, and so because you, it was left out, yeah. it was a little lacking in that, in that um, aspect, but maybe you, um, like you could request, they do an extended version with more trauma. Yes. I want yeah. more trauma. I want to see trauma. him like take his last dying breath and, um, and expire in front of me. So, so, um, okay. <laughs> maybe you sequel morgue of the flight flights or firefly. <laughs> it's just him at that point. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Extended. Two hour scene of him dying of hunger. Right. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's we can't get enough of that. So yeah, yes. that's that's what I was craving, and that is why I didn't. I, that those were the things that I didn't like about this okay. film. <laughs> no, it's not, like honestly, I'm I'm glad you talked about not liking children in film because honestly i think that's a viewpoint a lot of people have but there kind of is a social stigma against that like very much as i I, I think we're supposed to like children yeah um and so like that's like if somebody chooses not to be a parent there's a stigma against that and i think you've we've talked about this Mm -hmm. on this show before but it's just kind of assumed that you know if there's a kid in a movie they're going to be the like the most likable character because they're a kid but yeah so that's that's cool it's always going to be the opposite for me. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> or fortunately, no, I don't know. Okay, so Brandon, now that we've talked about um, what we liked and what we disliked, um, what what do you think this film has to say about mental health or mental illness? <laughs> there, I mean, there are a lot of directions I could have gone with this. <laughs> yeah. um, the direction I could have gone actually is not really mental health related. It's more just like cultural, so anthropology, sociology, that sort of thing. So my first, my initial question was, uh, you know, Seita's aunt is kind of a bitch. Um, yeah. And I was like, I'm, I'm not the most familiar with Japanese culture. And so like, I know when we did our Spirited Away episode, I, mm-hmm. you know, did a little research into Japanese culture. And there are a few scenes that were, you know, immediately obvious to Japanese audiences that were not obvious to American audiences um, that oh, yeah. I, I think with some explanation, they add some more depth to the film. So I was like, maybe there's something going on. Like maybe there's some, something that's apparent to Japanese viewers, um, uh, you know, something with Japanese culture that helps explain her actions. So I did some quick research, find out if there are any cultural differences specific to that, where it wouldn't be apparent to us, but it was very apparent to Japanese audiences, like that explained the ants behavior. Um, and, like the short answer is it's not Japanese culture, it's wartime culture. Um, and so like mm. it's a, a culture and that, that I think ends up being one of the main points of this film. And so, but the wartime culture, America had a lot of the same problems during world war two. And so it wasn't just a Japanese thing. It was kind of a widespread thing over world war two. And so, I mean, just watching this from the outside, from my, you know, privileged perspective now of not, you know, being in the middle of an awful war, uh, it seems like everything, you know, the cards were kind of stacked against 
Seta and Setsuko. Um, and, you know, things were really unfair for them. But Seta actually made some really bad choices along the way. So in World War II, okay. you know, that this is wartime culture. It's expected that everyone chips in toward the war effort. So if you look at Seta's position, the correct thing to do from society's perspective, he should have gone to an artillery factor and taken a job there. Um because I think for, you had to be 14 to get a job at an artillery factor, factory. Um, and so that, that was really what he was supposed to do. Um, so not to just to support the war, but to support his little sister. And so, um, but I, like, I don't think it ever occurs to him to do something like that. I, I think he just doesn't know to do that, which, yeah. you know, of course, you know, it's, it's a typical 14 year old. I wouldn't expect right? him it's to do that. It's kind of like a, a more realistic view. Sorry for interrupting, but like, no, yeah, you know, that, that, that like more realistic view of a lot of times when we do get a war story and we get people who are maybe civilians, we get their like noble acts and like how they mm-hmm. overcome this and they rise. And this actually, like, everyone dies at the end. And yeah. that's probably what happened more often than not, than someone rising above and making these choices and, and being able to, like, barrel through. And no, these people died of starvation. They were kids. Mm-hmm. There's probably way more of a realistic idea that there's a, a 14-year-old kid during the wartime that um, that didn't know what to do didn't know how to fend for himself didn't know how to get food didn't know how to like take part it didn't have that guiding thing so i thought um i think it's interesting um that that it's 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 just another way that the movie gives us like a different point of view yeah and like to be fair like i'm 39 and i didn't realize he could have worked in an artillery factory right. you know um yeah. so it's just fair you know it's, it's very possible that he just didn't know um mm-hmm. but there you know with the culture that wartime culture right. there was such a heavy emphasis on contributing to society um so choosing to move away from society and live by themselves is right. well, that was not viewed as a noble thing that was viewed as an incredibly selfish thing because not yes. only are you failing at taking care of your sister but you're not chipping in for the rest of us um and so like you look at some of the reactions from like the farmer and the ants like um i i don't think they were entirely fair but i don't think they were entirely wrong i think there yeah, were a lot of things Sita did wrong um mm-hmm. and so you know i don't think Sita realizes any of this it just never occurs to him to do the practical thing right like it's like it's way more practical to try to go to the shelter than to like now you're an abandoned little thing on the outside like where Right. Like when when he went mm-hmm. to go live in like the hole in the ground, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I was just like, what the worst decision you could ever make um, yeah. was right there. Yeah. <laughs> After I had kind of read some of this analysis from others, I started looking back. I was like, oh, man, like this could have gone so differently if he'd made some practical choices. Mm-hmm. But Sita is a character who lives by his ideals. And he believes this is the important thing. He believes that love is all he needs. Um, and Aww. if you look at most of film, if there's a character that lives by their ideals, they think love is all they need. Things are going to work out for them. Um, and like, I, I think that's true in American film. I think it's also true in Japanese film. There's a huge emphasis on, you know, you live by your, your ideals. You just believe the right things. You work really hard and things will work out. Um, you know, if you choose friendship, if you choose love, things will work out. And so I, I think like Seta, like lives by that principle and eventually dies by that principle. Like he, mm-hmm. he believes his ideals and love are all he needs. And I, I think that right there is the main conflict of the film. Um, so choosing to stick to your ideals versus doing what you have to in order to survive, because we look at characters like the farmer and the ants, like I, I, you know, again, like 
somewhat unfair to these kids, but they were, you know, in the end, they survived and Seta did not. Right. So um, they were doing what they needed to to survive. And so that's a very harsh statement. Uh, but it's it's probably very accurate for wartime. Um, and so this movie very harshly reminds us that choosing love and values doesn't work out in times like choosing love and values is a privilege that is afforded to us by, you know, the structure of society. And when that structure breaks down, guess what? You know, you have to give up some of these things that we all take for granted. And so, um, then I started going down some, a rabbit hole of like sociology Mm -hmm. during wartime. Um, and I found out like, the whole field of sociology during World War II was actually going through an existential crisis and almost just disappeared completely, um, which I did not know. But yeah, the whole field of sociology, like people didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. And so sociologists, social scientists actually started critiquing the field themselves. And so they said, we need this field to be taken seriously as a science. So we need to focus less on values um, and we need to make this a science of numbers and facts. And so they they wanted to reform sociology to be a science of facts and numbers and stay away from values and ideals so that people would take it seriously. And like, you know, living in today's culture, I think values and ideals are the most fascinating part of sociology, but it kind of shows like where we were as a culture at that time, that if somebody is talking about values and ideals, that is just not an interesting thing because we have much more base needs that are on the line. So, yeah, um, you know, in, in wartime values and ideals are a luxury and the price was skyrocketing. And I think that's something we see here. So like that was... I think an interesting connection because it shows that in America and like throughout most of the world, they're dealing with the same problem. The values and ideals are just not enough. Um, so going back to Graham and the Fireflies, I mean, who's the hero? Who's the villain? I don't think this is, and you would agree with this, I'm sure, but there, this isn't a traditional hero versus villain story. And so like, there are no heroes. I don't think say, you know, I think Sata is mm-hmm. somewhat to blame for the deaths. Yeah. Um, and you know, you could, you could point to the ant and the farmer's villains, but I don't think they are. They're doing what they need to to survive. And what I found most interesting is the film does not point to Americans as the villains either. They're just kind of this oh, force no. of nature. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I think like if this film is making a statement, it's saying that the hyper nationalization uh, nationalism. So hyper-nationalism, so extreme nationalism in that society and wartime culture was a bad thing and destroyed his childhood. And so I think it's a lament that I, I wish my childhood had not been taken from me. And so the, you mentioned the guy who wrote the original novel. It's yeah. uh, Akiyuki Nosaka uh, wrote mm-hmm. the original novel. He lived through the war. So this is somewhat autobiographical. And as hmm. he was living through the war, two of his two sisters died of malnutrition. Um. And he blamed himself the rest of his life. He's like, if only I had done more, maybe my sisters would have survived. And so he lived with that guilt for his entire life. He felt like he didn't do enough to save his sisters. And so I I think this is kind of an expression of that guilt where, you know, Satan does not make the right choices. But um, I I think this is an expression of sorrow that, you know, my childhood was just destroyed. But I I don't know who to blame for that. I don't know what to feel. Um, And so... And going back to the intro, like, yeah, the first time I saw it, I was really taken back by the intro. I was like, what, you know, just happened. So um, I I mean, I understood it. I just didn't understand why it happened. Seeing it the second time, I understood a little more where like initially, like Sata was just another kid who died. 
And you look at that guard who finds him, he's more concerned with Mm -hmm. how to clean up the mess than he is for the fact that, you know, this kid just died. And so this is like it's saying, you know, each one of these deaths is a statistic, uh, but it's also a person with a story. And it's kind of going back and showing the story behind that statistic. And so it was kind of a cool thing. I totally did not get that my first time through. It took me... um, I think to the end of viewing it the second time to get that. But yeah, so Sita is not just another kid who dies. He's a kid who had a story and it's a very tragic story. So anyway, that is my take on the mental health side of things here. Um, So anyway, what did you think about this? (laughs) Um, So I was just thinking about how I feel like this film really, um, really shows how you know, physical health and well-being is inextricably linked to mental health and mental well-being. Uh-huh. Um, you know, when people don't have adequate health care in general, mental health care is always going to lack and vice versa. I think it's I think it's very similar. Um, if you're like too depressed to take care of yourself or to seek medical attention, then your physical well-being is also going to suffer. And so I felt like this was kind of a little bit poking its head in that kind of direction because of, um, you know, what Seta and Setsuko are, are truly really up against. I mean, they're, they're, they're facing a lot of extreme conditions, right? Like they're mm-hmm. in, in war. Um, they're in poverty. They're starving. Um, they're experiencing, um, death of their parents or or their mom at least at an early age um abandonment and so there's a lot of things going on um but what i really um what a lot of emphasis is put on is their 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 physical health their lack of mm-hmm. nutrition their malnutrition getting food a lot of most of the story is about food um and and what kind of happens when you're starving and desperate and you're maybe you know hallucinating or um you know turning to um different behavior just because of because because of you're physically unwell i think mm-hmm. just had started kind of creeping in there and then that was kind of what i i was just kind of thinking cuz i always get you know um you know here in, in the united states when we have healthcare and we were paying for healthcare out of our pocket um through our um through our employer, it, there's always separate, like they always have to separate all of the different types of ways you can get sick, right? Like you have to have mm-hmm. vision insurance for your eyes. When your eyes start to go, you're in eyesight. You have to have dental insurance because of your teeth. I don't know why that, why is this not all under the guise of healthcare? Yeah. Isn't it all healthcare? Um, just like my hearing aid is not covered. I cannot get a hearing aid. It is not covered under insurance. And my mm. hearing aid is very expensive because it's a special type of hearing aid. Um, but it's not considered a health thing. Um, so I, I, it makes me very confused. So anyway, um, so it just made me think a lot about that because I know in like I know my insurance, I have my physical insurance stuff. And then I have a whole detailed section about mental health and what they're going to cover for that and what they're going to cover therapy and they're going to or not cover therapy, you know, Mm -hmm. or they only cover six sessions a year therapy. Like it's it's ridiculous. The fact that we don't take mental health as seriously as general health in this country and we don't take other health like dental health. I I don't know how that's not physical health. I mean, if you can die from having an infection in your teeth. (laughs) Like, it yeah. doesn't make any sense. Um, 
So that's kind of what I talked, what I was thinking about um, when I was thinking about this section and, and, and just how, you know, how those things are, are, are very, very much linked to each other, um, regardless of what, you know, insurance companies want us to think and um, regardless of what society wants us to think. Yeah. And that's like, that's something that I don't think is talked about a lot is men- dealing with your mental health is a privilege that, you know, like if you're yes. starving to death, you're not going to worry about your right. anxiety. Um, and so we see that in this film, like they're, they've gone through a lot of trauma, but we don't see them dealing with that because they are starving to death. Um, yeah. And I, I hear a lot of people say, oh, if only we took, you know, mental health as seriously as physical health. But the reality is we don't take physical health right. very seriously right. either. <laughs> Um, because I mean, like physical health is kind of a luxury too in America, Mm -hmm. like in other countries, not as much, but in America, like being healthy a lot of times is, you know, a luxury. Um, and like the fact is we can't really focus on mental health. Like if we have widespread issues of poverty and, you know, inequality and stuff like that. So those are also, those are part of the mental health discussion. Yeah, yeah. it is. And and just as somebody who has no hearing um, and part of in in my one ear and um, the link between not hearing, not being able to hear right and um, depression is very, very clear um, because when you can't hear and you're in a social situation and you're at and I know right now it's hard to think about going to a restaurant with friends because we haven't <laughs> all have not done that in such a long time. But um, when you go to a restaurant with friends or you're at a party, I can't hear a lot of what's going on. So I guess uh-huh. what I do during half of the time now, I just get quiet and I don't interact with people and I feel very alone. And mm. a lot of that um, maybe could be help be helped if I had a hearing aid. Um, a lot of that might, might not ever be able to be helped, even if I did have a hearing aid because of the nature of, um, of my hearing. But there is such a clear link to the rise of depression and, and like suicide with people who don't have mm-hmm. good hearing because of that, they start becoming isolated. It becomes so tiring to ask people to repeat themselves. Um, and I, I get to the point where I just don't ask and I pretend like I know what they're talking about that, you know, and, uh-huh. and then, and so it's yeah. that lack of human interaction and feeling very alone where I am a lot of the times now, if I go out, um, that, that I feel like sometimes I have to remind myself about that. Like I know about that. I know about the link and the statistics regarding that. And yet still I can find myself really um, kind of just removing myself from social situations because of that, um, which is probably a very unhealthy thing to do. Mm. Yet, yet they don't find it important enough to cover it in an insurance. So um so I refuse to pay all of the money for the. I, I just I don't have it <laughs> yeah. either. So it's, it's, yeah. you know, and and the the problem with the, the technology for that, it gets better every year. So I'm gonna pay what like six thousand dollars out of pocket for a hearing aid that's gonna be obsolete in a year, and I'm gonna have to pay another six. You know, like at just like, yeah. when do I stop? That that's what. Like yeah, maybe I could save up money and get that initial one, but then you know it's just like all technology. It's gonna become obsolete obsolete very quickly very very quickly so what is the point of me wasting that money basically well yeah i'm sorry you're dealing with that that's yeah it's okay but it made me think of it this made me this this grave of fireflies somehow made me think about my hearing loss and (laughs) physical needs impact mental health and we have to talk about that too you know
So the next film that we're going to be watching on this podcast is the 2002 film Secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a film starring Mag- Maggie Gyllenhaal. Ooh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Sorry. Yep. Oh, <laughs> um, oh, no. Are we doing another game? <laughs> we're going to have to do another game every single time okay. we have Maggie or Jake. Um, uh, Maggie or Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Um, we have to do some kind of game. Um, but anyway, so it, it stars Maggie Gyllenhaal and James Spader. And I am going to read the short description. Uh-huh. Lee Holloway, a young woman with a history of severe emotional problems, is released into the care of her overbearing parents following a stay at a mental institution. She finds work as a secretary for a rigid and demanding attorney, E. Edward Gray, and starts dating the kind but dull Peter. However, Lee soon realizes she's turned on by Gray's stern demeanor and begins a sadomasochistic relationship with him. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this is my favorite BDSM movie. So it's definitely my favorite yeah. BDSM. <laughs> it's it's actually a really good movie. So if you guys have not seen this movie, it is surprisingly sweet and romantic. Um, and actually for that reason, we are thinking mm-hmm. about having some guests on our show. We are thinking of inviting our friends from More Than a Crush, a podcast about love. Um, so we will be having them on the show to help us talk about this romantic story of a BDSM relationship. All right, Brandon. Well, now that we have um, chosen what we are going to watch next time, would you like to take us away? Take us away. All right. So we are Peculiar Picture Show, a podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. You can find us online at peculiarpicture.show. That is our website. You can stream all episodes there. We have some additional information like a press kit, um, how to get a hold of us, our social media profiles. Um, additionally, I write my own movie reviews at brandontalksmovies.com, and I have some of my mental health writing at monsteronmyback.pub. So that's all I've got, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Brandon, wait, hold on. Sorry, <laughs> hold on. Let me take a let me take a drink of water. <clears throat> <Sorry. sighs> okay, I'm ready. Are you ready? Yes.